Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Welcome into Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. I am Matt Perino, and I don't have Ryan Talbot today, but I have John Kime from ESPN. We uh, sat down and chatted together virtually for about 20 minutes to take you inside this Bills versus Washington Commanders week with a view from the other side. As always, Shout is brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. Are you ready for Slider Sunday? Every time you visit slidersunday.com, you have a chance to win free products, brand swag, tailgating gear, trips, and more. One chance per day, no purchase necessary. Start your Slider Sunday winning streak with Kings Hawaiian this football season and earn rewards to redeem for free product, brand swag, tailgating gear, and more. Visit slidersunday.com for complete details. All right, no more wait. Here's my conversation with ESPN's John Keim. All right, everybody, we're going to take a view uh, at the other side. The Bills face the 2-0 Washington Commanders. This Sunday in D.C., and I went to uh, John Kime from ESPN uh, to get all the details on this team for this matchup. You can find him over on Twitter or X or whatever you're calling it these days. John underscore Kime uh, over there. John, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, So I want to start with this defensive line because obviously, you know, Chase Young, the lead up to this season, I'm sure – was um, this level of excitement in training camp. Then he, he suffers the injury, misses the opener. Uh, and then he returns in grand fashion uh, last week against the Denver Broncos. I mean, you were there. You watched it. You wrote a story about it. I, I, I highly recommend everybody go check it out. Um, what was it like to see this front with these four first-round picks finally playing together? Well, yeah, and I think – this group has been together for several years now because Chase Young was is from 2020. That's when he was drafted. So they've been together since then. And it's been a slow progression to getting them to play the way these coaches want them to in terms of the attacking upfield style. There was some resistance for a couple of years. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of individual solid play, but not collective. This is the first year. I think we started to see the collective last year with when Young was out. I think you're, you know, you're still seeing it again. And so what you're seeing is the tackles, John Allen, Deron Payne are as good a duo as you'll find in the NFL. And Montez Sweat, who has never had more than nine sacks, already has three. Some of that, and the big thing was finish, finish, finish. Some of that is better coverage um, in the back, giving him a little bit more time and him staying after the pass, right? And then you add Chase Young onto that last week. And what you what he adds is just another tremendous athlete up front 
who has a nose for the quarterback. And so you saw that last week. There were a couple of times he had one and a half sacks, but that it was more than that. And there were a couple of times like Emmanuel Forbes picks off a pass while Russell Wilson has to throw the ball early because Chase Young is right in his face. And there were, half, there were about half dozen plays like that. Another one where he gets a sack where John Allen, he and John Allen kind of forced Russell Wilson out of the pocket and Chase Young chased him down. If it's a different end at that position, Russell Wilson picks up a first down and there they continue, maybe get a touchdown instead settle for a field goal. But that's the kind of, that's what he adds. Now we'll say like he can get a little bit undisciplined at times. He likes to freelance a little bit and a guy like Josh Allen, they let this a couple of times happen. He's not the only one, but for, you know, sometimes you get a field too wide, leave a gap running quarterbacks can get through there. However, he makes a difference when he's out there and he's rushing the way he did. I mean, he added a lot and it makes this defensive line even better. Um, Defensively, I mean, I, I I follow this, you know, trends across the league and looking at, you know, how teams affect the opposing quarterback. I mean, Pro Football Focus had 37 pressures for this Washington defense mm-hmm. on Sunday. 25 of those came from those top four former yeah. first round picks. Is there a level of what, what's their level of confidence? Because I, I oh, feel like, when you, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty high. Hey, and you know, it's funny because you talk to John Allen, for example, and it's like, what do you guys expect? We expect to dominate. And even after the first game, Montez Sweat was asked about, is this what you expected from this group? Because they had, they took over the last two games. They have taken them over in the second half. And as an example, Deron Payne on one series, and I'll get to the answer in a minute, but Deron Payne in one series last week had a sack, a tackle for a loss and a pass deflection. First first series of third quarter is, is really tremendous. In the first game, though, we asked Montez Sweat, is this what you expected? He goes, when you have first round, four first-round picks on line, yes, this is what you expect. So I think I think it's a combination, too, for them of fourth year in the defensive system under Jack Del Rio. They fired their defensive line coach um, last in August 2022. They did not like – they did not – it was not a good marriage with him and this group. And they so they've responded to that, and I think they've bought into what they want them to do. And then you combine it with their talent, and I feel like you know for them, I think they think there's probably nobody that can really stop them. Now other teams can, but right now that's the confidence level they're playing with. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go to the secondary briefly. Obviously, first round draft pick Emmanuel Forbes. You mentioned the interception last week. Also uh, was in coverage on a, on a deep ball to Marvin Mims. Yeah. Where where is he at in terms of you know adapting to to the NFL? I think that's always an interesting uh, you know position to watch for players coming into the league. Uh, how much are they asking him to do, and just where is he at heading into this matchup? So like on that one, I think, and it's funny because I haven't talked to him about this, but I was thinking about it. And just when you asked, you know, we asked it, Mims just flat out beat him, on this, and that was speed. And the funny thing for Forbes is one of his strengths is speed. So mm. I don't know like how used he is to seeing a guy that fast. Now he covered some fast receivers in camp, but they're not as fast as Mims. And so I think, you know, cause again, one of his strengths is recovery speed and his length. He could not recover against Mims because, because Mims was faster. So I think there's part of that is getting used to, Hey, there are other guys who have his speed as well. Um, I think the physical play you see sometimes, receivers can create a little bit of separation at the top of the routes. He's a very skinny kid. He's as skinny a corner as I've ever seen here. And, you know, so very, I mean, just thin as rip. 
So at the top of the route, sometimes guys can maybe push off a little bit, get a nudge and get some separation. He's learning how to deal with that. And then even in the run game on the edges, and this is where, you know, Buffalo obviously had success there last week, that how is he going to defend the run consistently? Now, he's really good at if he can get up field before the before the back squares his shoulders, he's going to be okay. If the back is squared his shoulders, last week was a little bit different where it's a little bit more of an issue, although others were around him to kind of compensate. So that's something to watch. How does he handle that role? Because, you know, you know, is he going to be tested there severely? But as a cover corner, he's done a nice job. And he he dropped an interception. Well, he was in position for an interception last week. Um, in the first game, didn't get it. Got one last week. The kid has a nose for the ball, and that's been evident since camp opened. I mean, he's always – if that ball's coming to him, like he's got a shot at it all the time. But he does have things to learn, double moves, et cetera, that I think are going to test him a little bit. Um, but he's off to not a bad start. Mm-hmm. let's flip over to the offensive side and obviously Sam Howell um, a lot of people talking about him couple of those mm-hmm. touchdown passes that he's hit that he threw uh, on Sunday obviously the one to Terry McLaurin uh, uh, tape gurus have been studying that over the last yeah. couple of days and the early returns there seem to be really really good um, what have you noticed about Howell this offseason it seems like he's kind of just um, taking the league by storm. And I, and it almost felt like in the off season, talking to people at the combine, it was just like they were rolling into this season with Howell just because there weren't any other options. Is that correct? And has he kind of leapfrogged their expectations early? No, I think this is what I, and it's funny because being close to it, I kind of, I didn't get a laugh out of it because I didn't understand how the national people would feel or people outside here because like, really, you know, he was a fifth round pick. He only threw 19 passes, one start. You're really going to roll with them one year after being so aggressive looking for a quarterback. So, but I knew, I knew how much they liked him before the draft. If they had not traded for Carson Wentz and this, I heard this before the draft. So it's not like revisionist history before the draft. I was told by um, someone, somebody here, had they not traded for Carson Wentz, they would target Howell. Howell was the guy they would target probably in the second or third round. That's where they had him graded. So they liked him going into the draft. And then when he was sitting there in the fifth round, it kind of felt like they had no choice but to take him. And so then they saw the progression throughout the season. They saw what they wanted to see in that in the last start against Dallas and against a good defense, and he did a really nice job. So they felt pretty good about him going in the offseason. And part of it, too, was – Young quarterback, rookie contract. If he if he hits, it allows them to build around the quarterback position even more. So all those are factors. I, I don't. I think they understood that that it, excuse me that it was a little bit. I wouldn't say a risk, but they're betting on him. And mm-hmm. but what you knew about him and what they liked were the things that attributes that translate well to position. He's smart. He's tough. He anticipates pretty well in his throws, and he has a good arm. And, and, you know, I think you and he works really, really hard. So you add all those up. And I think that's why they felt like he had a shot. And I always felt like even in the offseason in January, February, I felt like he had a shot, too, based on what I'd seen, heard, talking to teammates. I mean, teammates really liked him as a potential player or potential starter, um, even after just the one start. And, I, you know, Taylor Heineke was OK coming back here simply to back him up because he, he felt like he was just he was much more talented than he was and would be a really good starter. So you hear all that and you see this and you think, I think the kid's got a shot. 
when will he be good? How long will it take? New offense, kind of revamped offensive line. How does that factor? But he, there's listen, there's still growing pains that he must endure. He sometimes holds the ball a little bit long. But, man, when they need him, he comes through and he makes some throws that they have not been able to throw, make in the past. Like Heineke had grit. He was tough. He was this. He didn't have the arm. This kid has – he has those attributes plus the arm. And I, you see it on the, the throw to McLaurin. You saw it on the throw to Logan Thomas, the touchdown. There, were, there have been other throws in both games where you say, like, that's just a damn good throw. You know, and so, again, still learning. And I, but he's 3-0 and as a starter, and he's learning. All right, everybody, a quick word from our sponsor. If you haven't already, sign up to be a Shout Insider subscriber on the text line. Text 716-528-6727. You become an insider with a two-week free trial. You'll get one-on-two access to me and Ryan Talbot. And right now, the Shout text line is brought to you by Carrie C. Beyer, attorney with the law offices of Francis M. Litro, located at 237 Main Street, Buffalo, New York. If you or someone you know is seriously injured, give him a call at 716-852-1234 or check out LitroLaw.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Also, visit the Topps Deli section and look for the bright orange King's Hawaiian displays to scan the QR for a chance to instantly win tailgating prizes and visit topsmarkets.com slash slider Sunday for slider recipes. All right, back to the interview. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the offensive line there, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about them uh, from a pass blocking perspective, according to PFF through two weeks, they rank 15th. Uh, sixth uh, in run blocking. What have you seen from that unit? Where are the strengths? Strengths are in the interior. Guard, is guard, guard, center, guard. Um, Sadiq Charles, left guard, had a really good game last week. Has done a nice job through two games, but really good last week. Sam Cosby moved from right tackle to guard. Has done a, has done it. He's a, I think he's a stronger fit at guard than he, I think he could be a, a decent tackle, but a really good guard. And I thought he was better in week one. Last week, a couple of hiccups, but overall good. And the center, Nick Gates, has some tough – they love his demeanor, nastiness. Um, you know, so they like that. The tackles are where they need some work. And, you know, Charles Leno, Andrew Wiley, two veterans, um, they'll chip on the edges to help them out. And they throw, they'll throw screens to, you know, to slow the rush, some RPOs to, to cause some hesitation, all those things to help them out. And they, I think they've given up – I think – Sam Howell's been sacked 10 times, but that's where I'd say maybe half of them are on the line, maybe. Um, because sometimes, again, it's Howell just getting used to holding the ball a little bit more. Maybe somebody else isn't getting open. Whatever the reason is, it's not all on the line. But the, the where they're strong is in the interior, where they need some work and some help is on the outside. Mm-hmm. And then um, playmakers. Obviously, everybody knows Terry McLaurin. Uh, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. What else have you seen them do through two weeks uh, that you think maybe there's a second and third uh, weapon 
kind of rising here in this group? Well, Jahan Dotson's a really good receiver, and he hasn't had great games through the first two. He can be really good. And so I, they did a good job last week against Denver of getting McLaurin away from Patrick Sertan and getting him in some other matchups. But they'll go, Howell is content to going, spraying the ball around. And so that helps too. But Jahan Dotson be one to watch. Then the screen game was really effective last week. That is a big part of Eric Bieniemy's offense. It was in Kansas City, of course, and it's going to be here. And the way they executed it was really, really good. And so, and they do different screens, um, and they set them up very well. So that's also a big part of it. You get Antonio Gibson's a, more of their third down back now. He's a big guy, but he's really fast. So you get him in the open space, which they're trying to do. He's dangerous. Brian Robinson is a running back. He's a little bit like Sam Howell, where he's he's been effective, shown some fl- good flashes but he's still learning. He's got to be a little bit more patient. When he is patient, the runs are pretty good. And so, you know, Curtis Samuel's still there. They'll involve him. It depends on Logan Thomas. He's got, he has a concussion. So I don't know if he'll play this week. He's a solid, he's a good um, uh, option for them in the red zone in particular. And we saw that on the touchdown against Denver where he gets drilled in the head, which is why he has a concussion, but he makes tough catches in tight areas. So, you know, but I think it really goes – it's Jahan Dotson with the number two threat that I would look at. And De'Ami Brown, who played with Sam Hall in college, has a lot of speed. So if you're not careful, he can hurt you. He's not going to have a huge game, but he can get one or two grabs because of that speed if you're not careful. So he has – they have options. The big thing is, the you know, can, will he be protected? And is he getting to his second and third options at a good enough pace to let those other playmakers make plays? Yeah, the screenplay is going to be one to watch. That's been an area where the Bills have kind of struggled against the first two weeks. I mean, Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook both hit ones in the first game. And then last week against Josh Jacobs, there was a couple as well. I want to ask you about Eric Bieniemy. I mean, there's been so much discussion about him the last couple of years. Obviously, kind of goes to Washington, gets to really take hold of an offense, um, call it his own. What have your impressions been of him and his impact on that offense? The impact is huge. I think the impact on not just the offense, but the team in general. The defensive guys felt his impact during practices because they practiced at a different tempo with a different urgency. They ran through a lot more plays in camp than they ever have. And I think part of the reason this team is in really good shape, in part because of that philosophy. Like guys, like the defensive guys would talk about and the offensive guys, hey, in the fourth quarter, this is going to pay off because you're having to focus on the details and you're getting in shape. And Antonio Gibson said he was in the best shape he's ever been in because of the kind of camp they had more physical, et cetera. So I think the impact is there as well. He's intensely passionate. You always will hear his voice during practice. You'll yell, finish, finish. Every time a back gets the ball, a receiver, whatever, he's going to yell it and he doesn't miss details. And so I think you see that impact there. I just feel like there's also, they had lost confidence under former coordinator Scott Turner. They didn't. If he had come back, it would have been a disaster because they just didn't have confidence in what they're being asked to do. I think they feel like they have that now. Plus, with the quarterback, they feel can make it work. So that all helps as well. Um, but Bienemy is intensely passionate. Again, yells a lot, but it's not yelling like a Bob Knight yell. It's just loud. I should say just loud. He's loud. And if you like the details in the screen game. We'd watch practices this summer where if, if they weren't lined up and, you know, if they were two yards ahead of where they should be, he's going to make them run it again and then he'll run it again. So you've got to be at a certain point, And you saw that Sunday where on Antonio Gibson's long one, where he was at in relation to the ball, in relation to the blocker, in relation to the defender, gave it a chance to become a bigger play. 
because he, he was just a lot of space for a linebacker to cover. And that to me is a direct result of the enemy's attention to detail. Um, last one before I get you out of here. Um, some news about this team's name. It just never, never seems to go away. Um, oh. What's your prediction for what this team's name is going to be in a couple of years here? And, and why maybe are people not into the commander's name? All right. So I don't know what it'll be. I'm sure I'll get another thousand responses from people about what they think it should be. If they open this back up, I'll get, you know, I'll get the, they should put the potato logo on their head and call them the Redskins as potatoes. Like I got that one a lot too. So, you know, that was all the time. So do I do there? It does sound like they're going to look at it again. And when that happens, I don't know. It could be in a year. It could be in two years. The reason why a lot of fans don't like the commanders is they don't like who chose it. And, you know, this is a, it was a Daniel Snyder production. He had a group who was hired to do that led by Jason Wright, the team president. So that's also on Jason Wright that, you know, they were part of the group who, who picked that name. And so I think that's, first of all, whatever came after Redskins and then whatever, it's going to be not welcomed. Um, But I think for a lot of them, they didn't like, they don't like, again, they don't like that it's tied to Snyder. That's a big part of it. So if they really want to rebrand and feel really good, they'll do that. There are a lot of people who just say, Jesus, Jimmy, you know, just keep the name and build a good team. And if you do that, people will start to embrace it over time. I'm, we're in a city where it's the Washington Wizards. Like, that's a horrible name. And it's 20 years and people call them the Wizards, right? And it's never been a good name. So, you know, um, but I, I do think I do think they're going to look at it again. It just does sound like that. But where they go, I don't know because they can't go back. They're not going to go back. I know a lot of people brought up Warriors. Initially, Dan Snyder had a trademark. The funny thing is they say that if Snyder, because it was Snyder picked it, but yet there are other names that Snyder had picked, they probably would have been okay with it. Warriors is one of them. However, the Native American groups would have fought that one pretty hard as well. And they, he had a trademark on it for an Arena League team that he bought 20 years ago. So it was clearly a name that he liked. And I think the reason they didn't go there is because of they would know it would have been fought hard in, in court or whatever, and or just by Native American groups. So, you know, but that would have that may have satisfied a lot of people because I think you know I, I you know but I, but I don't know I, I I think the other thing is let's say they go okay we'll look at it in a couple of years and let's say in the next couple of years they start to win is the appetite going to be there the same way you know because now you're winning and what they haven't. They were called the Redskins in 2018 when Alex Smith was here. They were six and three. And I was covering guys going to a local mall, handing out tickets to get a bigger crowd. Mm. They weren't, you know what I mean? Like, so there's, it's, if you build a good winning team, yeah, people may not like the name, but they'll embrace the team. And, you know, like I always tell people, like if the Green Bay Packers had started now, they said, hey, let's call them the Packers. People are like, what? You want to name them after a meatpacking company? You know what I mean? So right. it takes a while to build it up. Success helps that. But I do think they'll look at it because it does sound like we asked um, Josh Harris about that. And he's like, you know, somebody asked him, what do you think of the name? He goes, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what the fans in the city thinks. Mm. And saying that, it's like, okay, he's going to listen to it. But I think they'll give it a couple of years to see where do people go? Where does the franchise go? Are people okay with the building and the winning? If they win, does it change things? And we'll see. Awesome stuff. John Kime. You can find him on X slash Twitter, uh, John underscore Kime. Uh, follow all of his work over at ESPN.com. Thanks, John. Thanks, Matt.